Our scripture lesson for our sermon this evening is in Leviticus chapter 23. As we continue a quick examination here in the evening of the feasts of the Lord. So Leviticus 23, we'll pick up at verse 9 and read through verse 14. After examining the briefly last time the uh, the Passover and its uh, and touching on the feast of unleavened bread that uh, that the Passover began and then for the following week uh, was celebrated, we come now to the feast of first fruits, and uh, this can be a little confusing because there are two feasts in the Old Testament that are sometimes called first fruits. So there's this one. And then there is the Feast of Weeks, uh, the feast of, also known as Pentecost, which was also sometimes called a Feast of First Fruits. But this is the First Fruits that takes place uh, just following Passover. And so we'll be reading here this evening Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. This is the Word of God as He gave to Moses. As we have here direct quotes. Uh, from the Lord to Moses, but also infallibly recorded. This isn't as if God spoke to Moses, and then Moses did his human best to remember what God said and write it down later. No, this is guided by the Holy Spirit, so it is infallibly recorded. We have the very word of the living God here, uh, Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord." Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us this evening. May he bless its reading, its exposition, and its hearing. The first month of the Jewish ceremonial year was the month of Abib. It was later called Nisan. We've talked about this before, how there were uh, sort of two calendars, if you will, that the uh, ancient Jews followed. The ancient Israelites followed. followed a calendar for uh, the, the, if you want to call it the civil year, if you will, uh, that was uh, that was pretty much what other nations around them followed, with the new year being counted in the fall. And to this day, if you look on your calendar, you might see that there's a, a date sometime in the fall that's labeled Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year in Hebrew. And that would be following that more civil calendar. But there was a ceremonial calendar. And it seems that the ancient Israelites probably had already followed that, that uh, 
uh, civil calendar, the calendar that was basically followed by other nations around them, uh, with New Year being counted in the fall, uh, until the time of the Exodus, when the Lord said, this shall be the beginning of the year for you from now on. And so... uh, Even if as a matter of convenience, as they dealt with other nations around them, they talked about a year that began in the fall. Uh, For everything religious, for all religious observances especially, uh, they counted New Year as being in the spring. Uh, Abib, also as I mentioned later called Nisan, uh, was the month which contained the spring equinox. Uh, remember that months didn't have quite the regularity that we know of them. That they, uh, of course, even our English word month comes from a word that means pertaining to the moon. And the uh, ancient Hebrews began a month of the new moon, and it lasted till the next new moon when the next month began. And so, uh, the month that contained the spring equinox uh, was the one that was called Abib. It was the first month of the ceremonial calendar. It would overlap our March and April. So whereas the spring equinox pretty much falls around March 21st for us almost every year, uh, it's going to be the 21st or the 22nd thereabout, uh, for them it would be a different day of that month uh, depending on the cycles of the moon from year to year. But on the 14th day of that month, the Passover would be celebrated. So no matter what day of the week it was, uh, the Passover would be celebrated on the 14th of the month, of course, beginning at sunset. And the Passover would begin that seven-day-long feast of unleavened bread. Because the feast was seven days long, it would, as a matter of course, contain a regular weekly Sabbath. And the day after that Sabbath the first fruits of the spring grain harvest, so the day that we would call Sunday, or now the Sabbath for us, or the Lord's Day, uh, that first day of the week would be the time of the Feast of First Fruits, when the first fruits of the spring grain harvest would be brought into the temple. And so this was called the Feast of First Fruits. There was, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, another Feast of First Fruits. Uh, that was at Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Um, That's something we'll consider another time. This evening we'll consider the first of these Feasts of First Fruits that took place the day after the Sabbath and Passover week. So what we have here is a springtime harvest of the grain, particularly in ancient Israel. This would be the barley harvest uh, that had been planted the previous autumn. So they would plant their barley in the autumn, kind of like here. Uh, Wheat is usually planted in the fall and grows uh, in the spring and is harvested. The custom by Jesus' time was that a member of the Sanhedrin, the council of elders in Jerusalem, would go out of Jerusalem uh, to the east, uh, cross from the Temple Mount, across the Kidron Valley into another valley that that led into the Kidron Valley, uh, known as the Ashes Valley. And there, there would be fields of barley, and they would reap some of the standing barley there. And the sheaf that was brought in, a nice sizable sheaf of this barley, would be brought into the temple and given to a priest, and the priest would, following the instructions 
we just read here, wave the, uh, the sheaf of barley over the altar. This was what is known as a wave offering. You'll find references in the Old Testament to something known as wave offerings here and there. And that's what this was. When, this, uh, when a sheaf of barley or grain of another kind, and depending on the context, would be waved before the Lord over the altar. And this is what the Lord speaks of here in verses 10 and 11. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you. So obviously this wasn't when they were in the wilderness. They weren't farming when they were traveling around all over the place. Uh, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So here, the day after the Sabbath, and in this case, the Sabbath of the week of Passover, the first day of the week, the first fruits are waved before the Lord. So the sheaf is waved by the priest before the altar, and then they would uh, lightly parch some of it, it would be ground to flour, um, or actually I believe all of it would be lightly parched and ground to flour, And then some of that would be offered with an unblemished lamb. Of course, the unblemished lamb, much as the unblemished lamb of Passover just a few days earlier, uh, would remind the people of the need for a sinless substitute who would be offered in their place for atonement for their sins. So here they just had gone through uh, the uh, ritual of the Passover just within a few days of this where just thousands upon thousands of lambs would have been uh, killed, their throats cut, the blood caught from the, from the spilling of their blood and in bowls and passed up to the altar. We talked before about what a bloody uh, experience this would have been that would have pointed uh, the people to the fact that they needed a substitute. They needed a atoning death in their place to pay for their sins, that God's wrath for their sins might pass over them. And now only a few days later, within that same week, they would be reminded of the same thing again. So this would be offered with an unblemished lamb, burnt on the altar. The flour was mixed with oil and frankincense, and so making a sort of a doughy lump, and burned on the altar with that unblemished lamb. The rest of the flour that was not burned was given to the priest who had been selected for that honor of making the offering, and he would uh, be able to eat it. Now, why would all this be done? We already pointed out what the unblemished lamb points to, but why would the Lord require such a thing as this this offering of first fruits? Well, in Exodus 23.16, the Feast of First Fruits is also called the Feast of Harvest of the First Fruits of Your Labor. In Exodus 23, 19, the Israelites are commanded, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So we see a principle here. We see that the offering of first fruits is a dedication of the whole harvest to the Lord and giving him the first and best choice. Think of how people would treat honored guests at feasts in those days. They would give them the best portions. Think of how Joseph treated Benjamin, even before his brothers knew who he was. And his 
uh, brothers had come back to the land of Egypt on their second trip with Benjamin with them. And, uh, and Joseph singled him out and gave him the best portions and extra food. Uh, and so this is, in one sense, a way of saying that we honor God above all others. And the dedication of this first fruit by giving it to God first before the people uh, took anything for themselves was a pledge of the worshiper's best service to the Lord. That I will give my all and my best to the Lord. Now let's consider what happened on a particular Passover week nearly 2,000 years ago. Jesus of Nazareth, the promised son of David, God incarnate, came to Jerusalem with his disciples. With the inner core of those disciples, with the twelve, he celebrated the Passover meal. And during that time, he also instituted the new covenant sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which points to his atoning death. That night, he was betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He was subjected to horrific treatment, to a show trial. He was beaten, he was spat upon, he was found guilty of blasphemy. Can you imagine that? Now that we look back in retrospect and see that the Lord God himself was accused of blaspheming himself. There's no more absurd accusation ever made in the history of mankind. But of course, this was all according to God's plan. He was found guilty of blasphemy, though there was no sin in him, and turned over to Gentiles to be put to death, the Gentile authority, Pontius Pilate, who uh, had the authority at that time to put men to death. Of course, the Jews couldn't uh, put men to death. They needed the authority of the Romans behind them under the current system that they were under at the time. And uh, so they, they needed that okay, so to speak, from Pontius Pilate to put Jesus to death, and Pilate could find no reason to put him to death under Roman law. Their excuse was that he claims to be a king other than Caesar, and Pilate could not find him guilty even of that, because he said, I don't have that kind of a kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. But he was unjustly put to death. Falsely accused of claiming to be a king who would overthrow Caesar's rule over the Jews, he was scourged, he was crucified, he gave up his spirit at a time of his own choosing, not when men took his life. No one took his life from him as he predicted, but he laid it down for his people. And he was offered then as a Passover sacrifice for his people, offering himself as the great high priest and dying at about 3 p.m. when the Passover sacrifice would be taking place. So all of the lambs had been killed the day before, but then there was a special Passover day sacrifice because remember, the days of the Jewish calendar begin at evening. And so it's still the same day that Jesus had celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples And at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he gives up his spirit. He dies at the same time that the Passover sacrifice in the temple was taking place. 
He was hastily laid to rest in a tomb before the Sabbath began at sunset. So that tells us this would have been a, a, a Friday as we would count such things. When the Sabbath ended, the following evening, some of the women from those who followed him purchased spices with which to anoint his body for a proper burial and prepared to do so, but of course it was too dark at that point, so they had to wait till the next morning. They set out early the next morning, even while it was still dark, so that they could get to work as soon as it was light enough for them to prepare his body, that it would not lay there unprepared, improperly prepared for burial uh, for more time than necessary. However, as you well know, arriving at the tomb... They found it empty here on the first day of the week. And the angels appear to them telling them, Jesus is risen from the dead. Later, many of his disciples would see him resurrected, his body in a glorified state, but still clearly that of their crucified master. They really recognized who he was. That same day the Lord Jesus rose from the dead was the very day of the Feast of Firstfruits. It was the day that this was being celebrated. The same day Jesus rose from the dead would have been the day that the uh, member of the Sanhedrin went out to the Ashes Valley and cut a sheaf of the barley and brought it into the temple to be waved before the Lord. And that's not an accident. It works out perfectly. So, of course, Jesus uh, was under the power of death through the Sabbath day and then rose again uh, from the dead on the first day of the week. But it also makes a perfect point, a theological point, that the Feast of first fruits was looking forward to the whole time. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23 tells us, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, talking about Adam, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, uh, the universalists would love us to stop reading there, because they like the idea that uh, everybody dies in Adam, everybody gets raised to eternal life in Christ. But the key there is who's in Adam and who's in Christ. Because as Paul goes on, he says, but each in his own order... Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So everyone who belongs to Adam dies. That's the whole human race. But then some of us have been taken out of Adam, as it were, and placed in Christ as our federal head. And so though we may die, yet shall we live, as Jesus says, at his coming those who belong to Christ are raised. So he's raised as the firstfruits of of a whole people, a whole harvest of God's people, who will also be raised. Not just back to this ordinary life, like Lazarus, for example, was raised, and other figures in the Bible uh, were uh, raised from the dead. Back to this life, we have mentioned before that Lazarus is a great example of this, because we know he was dead for four days, and Jesus raised him from the dead, saying, Lazarus, come forth. That becomes a great metaphor, by the way, for uh, what happens to us spiritually when we're spiritually dead and God brings us to life. We can't possibly do anything spiritually to bring ourselves to life any more than physically Lazarus could 
bring himself to life or participate in that. Jesus didn't ask Lazarus' opinion. Lazarus couldn't give his opinion. He didn't ask him to wiggle his toes if he wanted to be raised from the dead. He couldn't wiggle his toes. His body was dead. Jesus just simply commanded Lazarus, come forth. But we have lots of people, or not a whole lot, but several people in the Bible that we know of who were raised from the dead back to life like Lazarus. And Lazarus, we know what happened to him thereafter because it's been well documented in history. He is not still alive. He's not around. You can't go talk with Lazarus in this world any longer. His grave marker is on the island of Cyprus where he served as a pastor in the church in Larnaca. And it says, I believe, something like uh, Lazarus, Bishop of Larnaca, four days dead, friend of Jesus. He was raised back to this ordinary life, the life as we know it, and he died. But Jesus is the first fruits of a different kind of resurrection, a resurrection to glory. And this is the promise that Paul is telling us about here in 1 Corinthians 15. Not only is Jesus our Passover, as we saw before, he is the first fruits of everyone who through him will rise from the dead to everlasting glorified life. It will be much better than being raised back to this life could ever be. Romans eleven sixteen says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, remember that flour mixed with oil and offered on and the frankincense as well, offered on the altar, while the rest was given to the priest. So if that one lump there, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection and he is holy, then everyone else who will be raised in him is counted holy in Christ. Christ being our first fruits, we too are made holy unto God as he is holy. As the First fruits was a consecration of the whole harvest to the Lord, so Christ's resurrection on the, that same feast of first fruits consecrates a people through Christ to be the Lord's people. As Christ rose from the dead to everlasting life in glory, so shall all in him rise also to everlasting life in glory. As Christ is the first fruits of the harvest of God's people, since he is holy before the Lord, all who are united to him by God's grace working through faith are counted as God's holy people. Do you delight in that knowledge? Are you convicted to live in a manner worthy of that description, holy? The command that we have from the Lord here that's taught by principle here is just as the first fruits were brought in and dedicated to the Lord and taught the people that they should therefore dedicate all that they have to the Lord. If Christ is our first fruits and we in Him are counted as holy, then we need to offer not 
what is left over, not what is uh, just our second best to Him, but offer our best and even our whole selves unto Him that we might serve Him and show that we are grateful for His resurrection as the first fruits of all who will be raised from the dead to everlasting and glorified life. Well, let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you that you did indeed raise Christ from the dead to be the first fruits of all who are in him, and that as he is holy, you make us through, through him your holy people. We pray that by your Holy Spirit we would live in a manner that shows that we are indeed holy unto you, and that shows that we are grateful, and that we dedicate our very selves and our whole lives to your service as the harvest that you have claimed in Christ Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.